Moroni chapter 7. Now we come to a sermon which Moroni thought was very important. It was actually a sermon by his father, Mormon, and was presented to his people before they fell away. He is addressing the gospel theme of faith, hope, and charity, and Moroni explains the circumstances. And now I, Moroni, write a few of the words of my father, Mormon, which he spake concerning faith, hope, and charity. For after this manner did he speak unto the people, as he taught them in the synagogue which they had built for the place of worship. And now I, Mormon, speak unto you, my beloved brethren. And it is by the grace of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ and his holy will, because of the gift of his calling unto me, that I am permitted to speak unto you at this time. Wherefore I would speak unto you that are of the church, that are the peaceable followers of Christ, and that have obtained a sufficient hope by which ye can enter into the rest of the Lord, from this time henceforth until ye shall rest with him in heaven. Mormon is not only talking to members of the church, but those who are mature practitioners of the gospel. And now, my brethren, I judge these things of you because of your peaceable walk with the children of men. For I remember the word of God which saith, By their works ye shall know them. For if their works be good, then they are good also. Mormon says he is judging the quality of the lives of his audience by the lives he has observed them practicing. He quotes the teachings of the Savior that, quote, by their fruit you shall know them, unquote. For behold, God hath said a man being evil cannot do that which is good. For if he offereth a gift or prayeth unto God, except he shall do it with real intent, it profiteth him nothing. For behold, it is not counted unto him for righteousness. The doctrine laid down in these two verses must not be misunderstood. Mormon explains himself in the next verse. For behold, if a man being evil giveth a gift, he doeth it grudgingly. Wherefore it is counted unto him the same as if he had retained the gift. Wherefore he is counted evil before God. And likewise also is it counted evil unto a man, if he shall pray, and not with real intent of heart. Yea, and it profiteth him nothing, for God receiveth none such. Wherefore a man being evil cannot do that which is good, neither will he give a good gift. In other words, God reads the heart, and if a person prays hypocritically, or makes a contribution grudgingly, it is not accepted by the Lord as the evil person intended. It is discounted because of the true intent of the individual with an evil heart. In the final analysis, it is deliberate deception. For behold, a bitter fountain cannot bring forth good water, neither can a good fountain bring forth bitter water. Wherefore, a man being a servant of the devil cannot follow Christ, and if he follow Christ, he cannot be a servant of the devil. Wherefore, all things which are good cometh of God, and that which is evil cometh of the devil, for the devil is an enemy unto God, and fighteth against him continually. 
and inviteth and enticeth to sin, and to do that which is evil continually. But behold, that which is of God inviteth and enticeth to do good continually. Wherefore, everything which inviteth and enticeth to do good, and to love God and to serve Him, is inspired of God. Wherefore, take heed, my beloved brethren, that ye do not judge that which is evil to be of God, or that which is good and of God to be of the devil. There is a human tendency to think well of an evil man who happens to do something that seems acceptable, or to think God has done something evil for some mischievous intent known only to God which causes a person to ask, quote, Why would God do this to me? Unquote. Mormon wants the members of the church to be more discerning. For behold, my brethren, it is given unto you to judge that ye may know good from evil. And the way to judge is as plain, that ye may know with a perfect knowledge, as the daylight is from the dark night. For behold, the Spirit of Christ is given to every man, that he may know good from evil. Wherefore I show unto you the way to judge. For everything which inviteth to do good, and to persuade to believe in Christ, is sent forth by the power and gift of Christ. Wherefore ye may know with a perfect knowledge it is of God. In making judgments between good and evil, it is very easy to be deceived. We should therefore watch the dictates of the Spirit, or the light of Christ which is in all of us, so that we will not be deceived in either direction. But whatsoever thing persuadeth men to do evil, and believe not in Christ, and deny him, and serve not God, then ye may know with a perfect knowledge it is of the devil. For after this manner doth the devil work, for he persuadeth no man to do good, no, not one, neither do his angels, neither do they who subject themselves unto him. And now, my brethren, seeing that ye know the light by which ye may judge, which light is the light of Christ, see that ye do not judge wrongfully, for with that same judgment which ye judge, ye shall also be judged. Wherefore I beseech of you, my brethren, that ye should search diligently in the light of Christ, that ye may know good from evil. And if ye will lay hold upon every good thing, and condemn it not, ye certainly will be a child of Christ. Mormon has now set forth a reliable guideline in making a proper judgment, and it is important that any decision is confirmed by the light of Christ within us. And now, my brethren, how is it possible that ye can lay hold upon every good thing? And now I come to that faith of which I said I would speak, and I will tell you the way whereby ye may lay hold on every good thing. For behold, God, knowing all things, being from everlasting to everlasting, behold, he sent angels to minister unto the children of men, to make manifest concerning the coming of Christ. And in Christ there should come every good thing. And God also declared unto prophets by his own mouth that Christ should come. And behold, 
There were divers ways that he did manifest things unto the children of men, which were good. And all things which are good cometh of Christ. Otherwise men were fallen, and there could no good thing come unto them. Mormon cites the example of the prophecies concerning the coming of Christ, and how the promises of his coming generated good among the people. By the same token, Christ is the source of all those teachings and prophecies that tend to strengthen the people and lead them to do good. Wherefore, by the ministering of angels, and by every word which proceeded forth out of the mouth of God, men began to exercise faith in Christ. And thus by faith they did lay hold upon every good thing. And thus it was, until the coming of Christ. And after that he came, men also were saved by faith in his name. And by faith they become the sons of God. And as sure as Christ liveth, he spake these words unto our fathers, saying, Whatsoever thing ye shall ask the Father in my name, which is good, in faith believing that ye shall receive, behold, it shall be done unto you. Mormon emphasizes once again the wonderful good that rose out of the prophecies and preaching concerning the coming of Christ. And when he did come, it fulfilled their faith and expectations. It also proved that what God has promised by his prophets or his angels can be completely trusted. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, have miracles ceased, because Christ hath ascended into heaven, and hath sat down on the right hand of God, to claim of the Father his rights of mercy which he hath upon the children of men? So as Christ came and went as he had promised, the question arises, have the blessings and miracles disappeared which he administered among men while he was here? For he hath answered the ends of the law and he claimeth all those who have faith in him. And they who have faith in him will cleave unto every good thing. Wherefore he advocateth the cause of the children of men, and he dwelleth eternally in the heavens. The important thing is that he came to earth as he had promised and completely fulfilled the mission which was assigned to him. Now he has gone back to the heavens as our mediator with the Father, just as he promised he would do. And because he hath done this, my beloved brethren, have miracles ceased? Behold, I say unto you, Nay. Neither have angels ceased to minister unto the children of men. For behold, they are subject unto him to minister according to the word of his command, showing themselves unto them of strong faith, and a firm mind in every form of godliness. But even though the Savior has gone back to heaven and is with the Father, we have not lost anything. Our task is to assure people that if they repent, they can be with him also. The saints must build up their faith in their commitment to the Savior as well as to the Father. And the office of their ministry is to call men unto repentance, and to fulfill and to do the work of the covenants of the Father, which he hath made unto the children of men, to prepare the way among the children of men by declaring the word of Christ unto the chosen vessels of the Lord, that they may bear testimony of him. And by so doing, 
The Lord God prepareth the way that the residue of men may have faith in Christ, that the Holy Ghost may have place in their hearts, according to the power thereof. And after this manner bringeth to pass the Father the covenants which he hath made unto the children of men. And Christ hath said, If ye will have faith in me, ye shall have power to do whatsoever thing is expedient in me. If we can induce our fellow men to have faith in God and believe in the atonement of Jesus Christ, then they are more likely to take the next step. And he hath said, Repent, all ye ends of the earth, and come unto me, and be baptized in my name, and have faith in me, that ye may be saved. And now, my beloved brethren, if this be the case, that these things are true, which I have spoken unto you, and God will show unto you with power and great glory at the last day that they are true, and if they are true, has the day of miracles ceased, or have angels ceased to appear unto the children of men, or has he withheld the power of the Holy Ghost from them, or will he, so long as time shall last, or the earth shall stand, or there shall be one man upon the face thereof to be saved. Behold, I say unto you, Nay, for it is by faith that miracles are wrought, and it is by faith that angels appear and minister unto men. Wherefore, if these things have ceased, woe be unto the children of men, for it is because of unbelief, and all is vain. For no man can be saved according to the words of Christ, save they shall have faith in his name. Wherefore, if these things have ceased, then has faith ceased also. And awful is the state of man, for they are as though there had been no redemption made. If a person has no faith in Christ, and does not believe in the ministering of angels and the continuous revelations of God, then his faith is in vain. It will be as though there was no redemption made for him. But behold, my beloved brethren, I judge better things of you. For I judge that ye have faith in Christ because of your meekness. For if ye have not faith in him, then ye are not fit to be numbered among the people of his church. Mormon tells the congregation of saints that he knows them better than to think that they would ever falter in this manner. And again, my beloved brethren, I would speak unto you concerning hope. How is it that ye can attain unto faith, save ye shall have hope? Mormon immediately asked them to analyze the basis of their faith. Obviously, it is hope that gives mankind the basis for their faith. But for what shall the people be stirred up to have hope? And what is it that ye shall hope for? Behold, I say unto you that ye shall have hope through the atonement of Christ and the power of his resurrection to be raised unto life eternal, and this because of your faith in him according to the promise. Wherefore, if a man have faith, he must needs have hope, for without faith there cannot be any hope. And again, behold, I say unto you that he cannot have faith and hope save he shall be meek and lowly of heart. Mormon wanted the saints to remember 
that no man can have faith and hope unless they are humble, and no one can have humility unless that person has charity. Mormon will close his great sermon by commenting on the supreme quality of charity. He says, If so, his faith and hope is vain, for none is acceptable before God save the meek and lowly in heart. And if a man be meek and lowly in heart and confesses by the power of the Holy Ghost that Jesus is the Christ, he must needs have charity. For if he have not charity, he is nothing. Wherefore he must needs have charity. And charity suffereth long, and is kind, and envieth not, and is not puffed up, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, and rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, if ye have not charity, ye are nothing, for charity never faileth. Wherefore, cleave unto charity, which is the greatest of all, for all things must fail. But charity is the pure love of Christ, and it endureth forever. And whoso is found possessed of it at the last day, it shall be well with him. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, Pray unto the Father with all the energy of heart, that ye may be filled with this love, which he hath bestowed upon all who are true followers of his Son, Jesus Christ, that ye may become the sons of God, that when he shall appear we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, that we may have this hope, that we may be purified even as he is pure. Amen. Now Moroni chapter 8. We don't know who invented the doctrine of infant baptism in America, but we do know who promoted it in Europe. It was Bishop Augustine around 300 A.D. He became extremely influential with the church in Rome and eventually used the sword and the threat of the Inquisition, which meant torture or burning at the stake, in order to force European Christians to accept infant baptism. Augustine taught that Adam's transgression in the Garden of Eden left a curse on all mankind, and unless children were baptized in their infancy, they would be consigned to purgatory forever. An epistle of my father Mormon written to me Moroni. And it was written unto me soon after my calling to the ministry. And on this wise did he write unto me, saying, My beloved son Moroni, I rejoice exceedingly that your Lord Jesus Christ hath been mindful of you, and hath called you to his ministry and to his holy work. I am mindful of you always in my prayers continually praying unto God the Father in the name of his holy child Jesus, that he through his infinite goodness and grace will keep you through the endurance of faith on his name to the end. 
And now, my son, I speak unto you concerning that which grieveth me exceedingly. For it grieveth me that there should disputations rise among you. For if I have learned the truth, there have been disputations among you concerning the baptism of your little children. Somehow Satan planted the same false and wicked doctrine among the Christian Nephites in America. It seemed to have gained a foothold shortly after Mormon was called on a mission. Mormon thereafter wrote to Moroni so he could explain to the saints why this doctrine was a satanical error. And now, my son, I desire that ye should labor diligently that this gross error should be removed from among you. For for this intent I have written this epistle. For immediately after I had learned these things of you, I inquired of the Lord concerning the matter. And the word of the Lord came to me by the power of the Holy Ghost, saying, Mormon says that when he first heard about infant baptism, he knew it was a gross error, and therefore went directly to the Lord for a revelation on the status of little children under God's plan of salvation. Here is what the Lord said. Listen to the words of Christ, your Redeemer, your Lord and your God. Behold, I came into the world not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The whole need no physician but they that are sick. Wherefore little children are whole, for they are not capable of committing sin. Wherefore the curse of Adam is taken from them in me, that it hath no power over them, and the law of circumcision is done away in me. And after this manner did the Holy Ghost manifest the word of God unto me. Wherefore, my beloved son, I know that it is solemn mockery before God that ye should baptize little children. Notice that the atonement not only saved little children who had not reached the age of accountability, but it also did away with the need for circumcision. This practice was initiated around 2000 B.C. when God promised Abraham that, quote, through his seed should all the nations of the earth be blessed, unquote. Paul said this referred to the coming of Christ in Galatians 3 and 16. Now that the Savior had been born and fulfilled his mission, the Lord said circumcision should be discontinued as the ordinance or token of the original covenant with Abraham. As Jesus said in verse 8, quote, The law of circumcision is done away in me, period, unquote. Behold, I say unto you that this thing shall ye teach. Repentance and baptism unto those who are accountable and capable of committing sin. Yea, teach parents that they must repent and be baptized, and humble themselves as their little children, and they shall all be saved with their little children. The Lord says the doctrine of repentance and baptism can only apply to children who have reached the age of accountability. This is in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 18, verse 42. The scripture is plain that the age of accountability begins with age 8, and the Lord places a responsibility on parents to have them baptized at this age. And that's in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 68, verses 25 to 27. This is because the Lord says that once children reach this age, they are capable of committing sin and will be held accountable for those sins unless they repent and are baptized. 
and their little children need no repentance, neither baptism. Behold, baptism is unto repentance to the fulfilling the commandments unto the remission of sins. But little children are alive in Christ even from the foundation of the world. If not so, God is a partial God, and also a changeable God, and a respecter to persons. For how many little children have died without baptism? Wherefore, if little children could not be saved without baptism, these must have gone to an endless hell. Behold, I say unto you, that he that supposeth that little children need baptism is in the gall of bitterness and in the bonds of iniquity. For he hath neither faith, hope, nor charity. Wherefore should he be cut off while in the thought he must go down to hell? For awful is the wickedness to suppose that God saveth one child because of baptism, and the other must perish because he hath no baptism. In these verses, the Savior denounces the doctrine of infant baptism, which was taught by Augustine and had begun to be taught in America. Woe be unto them that shall pervert the ways of the Lord after this manner, for they shall perish except they repent. Behold, I speak with boldness, having authority from God, and I fear not what man can do. For perfect love casteth out all fear, and I am filled with charity which is everlasting love. Wherefore all children are alike unto me, wherefore I love little children with a perfect love, and they are all alike and partakers of salvation. For I know that God is not a partial God, neither a changeable being, but he is unchangeable from all eternity to all eternity. Here Mormon testifies his strong opposition to the doctrine of infant baptism, and he points out that if little children cannot be charged with any sin, then they cannot be required to repent and be baptized. He says, Little children cannot repent, wherefore it is awful wickedness to deny the pure mercies of God unto them for they are all alive in him because of his mercy. And he that saith that little children need baptism denieth the mercies of Christ, and setteth at naught the atonement of him and the power of his redemption. Woe unto such, for they are in danger of death, hell, and an endless torment. I speak it boldly. God hath commanded me. Listen unto them and give heed or they stand against you at the judgment seat of Christ. For behold, that all little children are alive in Christ, and also all they that are without the law. For the power of redemption cometh on all them that have no law. Wherefore he that is not condemned, or he that is under no condemnation, cannot repent. And unto such baptism availeth nothing. Mormon wants those who think that innocent children require baptism to realize that they are undermining the most basic aspect of the atonement. Jesus said his atonement erases the sins of those who are too young to be charged with sin or those who died in ignorance without ever knowing the requirements of God's law. But it is mockery before God, denying the mercies of Christ, 
and the power of his Holy Spirit and putting trust in dead works. Mormon felt that it was mockery before God to require the dead works of baptism for young children or the dead works of baptism for those who never heard the gospel and therefore knew nothing about the requirements of God's law. Mormon said the cleansing power of the atonement covered little children and those who had never heard the gospel preached to them. Behold, my son, this thing ought not to be, for repentance is unto them that are under condemnation and under the curse of a broken law. And the first fruits of repentance is baptism, and baptism cometh by faith unto the fulfilling the commandments, and the fulfilling the commandments bringeth remission of sins, and the remission of sins bringeth meekness and lowliness of heart. And because of meekness and lowliness of heart cometh the visitation of the Holy Ghost, which comforter filleth with hope and perfect love, which love endureth by diligence unto prayer, until the end shall come, when all the saints shall dwell with God. Now we come to the conclusion of Mormon's letter, which exposes the desperate circumstances under which Mormon is trying to prevent the Nephites from being exterminated. He says, Behold, my son, I will write unto you again if I go not out soon against the Lamanites. Behold, the pride of this nation, or the people of the Nephites, hath proven their destruction, except they should repent. Mormon pleads with his son to pray that the Nephite might have some spark of repentance and reform, or he knows they are doomed. Pray for them, my son, that repentance may come unto them. But behold, I fear, lest the Spirit hath ceased striving with them. And in this part of the land they are also seeking to put down all power and authority which cometh from God. And they are denying the Holy Ghost. And after rejecting so great a knowledge, my son, they must perish soon unto the fulfilling of the prophecies which were spoken by the prophets, as well as the words of our Savior himself. Farewell, my son, until I shall write unto you or shall meet you again. Amen. Moroni Chapter 9 this chapter is a heartbreak letter which Mormon wrote to his son Moroni under the most abhorrent, abominable, and discouraging circumstances. My beloved son, I write unto you again that ye may know that I am yet alive, but I write somewhat of that which is grievous. For behold, I have had a sore battle with the Lamanites in which we did not conquer and Archeantus has fallen by the sword, and also Lurim and Emron. Yea, and we have lost a great number of our choice men. Now behold, my son, I fear lest the Lamanites shall destroy this people, for they do not repent. And Satan stirreth them up continually to anger one with another. It is obvious that the Nephites had just lost a critical battle, and the worst part of it was the fact that the Nephites had learned nothing from their defeat. They continued in their wickedness and spread dissension as they divided into cliques and quarreled one with another. 
Behold, I am laboring with them continually. And when I speak the word of God with sharpness, they tremble and anger against me. And when I use no sharpness, they harden their hearts against it. Wherefore I fear, lest the Spirit of the Lord hath ceased striving with them. For so exceedingly do they anger, that it seemeth me that they have no fear of death, and they have lost their love one towards another, and they thirst after blood and revenge continually. Mormon does not want to give up, but it is obvious that he has very little to give him even the slightest ray of hope. Nevertheless, he turns to his son and confirms the role which they have in the priesthood, requiring them to both continue in the struggle regardless of the ultimate outcome. So far, the outcome has been atrocious as far as the treatment of the Nephites by the Lamanites is concerned. And now, my beloved son, notwithstanding their hardness, let us labor diligently. For if we should cease to labor, we should be brought under condemnation. For we have a labor to perform whilst in this tabernacle of clay, that we may conquer the enemy of all righteousness and rest our souls in the kingdom of God. And now I write somewhat concerning the sufferings of this people. For according to the knowledge which I have received from Amoran, behold, the Lamanites have many prisoners which they took from the tower of Shariza, and there were men, women, and children. And the husbands and fathers of those women and children they have slain, and they feed the women upon the flesh of their husbands, and the children upon the flesh of their fathers. And no water save a little do they give unto them. But his report on this part of the atrocities of the Nephites against the Lamanites is just as bad. And notwithstanding this great abomination of the Lamanites, it doth not exceed that of our people in Moriantum. For behold, many of the daughters of the Lamanites have they taken prisoners, and after depriving them of that which was most dear and precious above all things, which is chastity and virtue, and after they had done this thing, they did murder them in a most cruel manner, torturing their bodies even unto death. And after they have done this, they devour their flesh like unto wild beasts because of the hardness of their hearts, and they do it for a token of bravery. The total anguish of Mormon is reflected in the next five verses. O oh, my beloved son, how can a people like this, that are without civilization, and only a few years have passed away, and they were a civil and a delightsome people. But, O oh my son, how can a people like this, whose delight is in so much abomination, how can we expect that God will stay his hand in judgment against us? Behold, my heart cries, Woe unto this people! Come out in judgment, O God, and hide their sins and wickedness and abominations from before thy face. As in all wars, the civilian population ultimately suffers the most. Mormon describes what is happening to many of the Nephites. And again, my son, there are many widows and their daughters who remain in Shariza. And that part of the provisions which the Lamanites did not carry away, behold, the army of Xenophi has carried away. 
and left them to wander whithersoever they can for food. And many old women do faint by the way and die. And the army which is with me is weak, and the armies of the Lamanites are betwixt Sheriza and me. And as many as have fled to the army of Aram have fallen victims to their awful brutality. Now we come to what might be called the Lamentation of Mormon. Oh, the depravity of my people! They are without order and without mercy. Behold, I am but a man, and I have but the strength of a man, and I cannot any longer enforce my commands. And they have become strong in their perversion, and they are alike brutal, sparing none, neither old nor young, and they delight in everything save that which is good. And the suffering of our women and our children upon all the face of this land doth exceed everything. Yea, tongue cannot tell, neither can it be written. And now, my son, I dwell no longer upon this horrible scene. Behold, thou knowest the wickedness of this people. Thou knowest that they are without principle and past feeling, and their wickedness doth exceed that of the Lamanites. Mormon was not only a prophet but a great general. However, he has reached a point where he can no longer pray to God on behalf of the Nephites. Behold, my son, I cannot recommend them unto God, lest he should smite me. But behold, my son, I recommend thee unto God, and I trust in Christ that thou wilt be saved. And I pray unto God that he will spare thy life to witness the return of his people unto him, or their utter destruction, for I know that they must perish except they repent and return unto him. And if they perish, it will be like unto the Jaredites, because of the willfulness of their hearts, seeking for blood and revenge. The extermination of the Nephites has ominous implications for both Mormon and Moroni. However, he sees a remnant of the Nephites surviving by surrendering to the Lamanites. Since the end may be near, Mormon said it is very important that they see each other before the final scene. And if it so be that they perish, we know that many of our brethren have deserted over unto the Lamanites, and many more will also desert over unto them. Wherefore, write somewhat a few things. If thou art spared, and I shall perish and not see thee, but I trust that I may see thee soon, for I have sacred records that I would deliver up unto thee. The last two verses of this chapter are almost like a farewell to Moroni from his sorrowful and discouraged father. Of course he doesn't know it, but the ultimate showdown between the Nephites and Lamanites is several years in the future. But we have already covered that phase of Book of Mormon history, so we know how it turns out. My son, be faithful in Christ, and may not the things which I have written grieve thee to weigh thee down unto death, but may Christ lift thee up, and may his sufferings and death, and the showing his body unto our fathers, and his mercy and long-suffering 
and the hope of his glory and of eternal life rest in your mind forever. And may the grace of God the Father, whose throne is high in the heavens, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who sitteth on the right hand of his power, until all things shall become subject unto him, be and abide with you forever. Amen. If you are enjoying this podcast with W. Cleon Skousen, you might enjoy his lecture recordings while at Brigham Young University, found at skousenlibrary.com.